On today's show, the Federal Reserve met yesterday, and as we recorded this the day before, some journalists thought the market might not like the Fed's dovish tone, they said. First of all, what the heck is a dovish tone? Is that like a rig tone? I don't know. So for all things Federal Reserve, we're going to hang out today with Mr. Vitamin AC himself, Adam Carroll from the Build a Bigger Life podcast, is on today's Money with Friends. Welcome back to the Money with Friends podcast, coming to you live from my mom's half-finished basement in Texarkana, Texas, where apparently we're fumigating today. I'm Joe Salcihai. My name is Adam Carroll, coming to you from the rockin' metropolis of Des Moines, Iowa, home of the greatest kolaches you've ever had in your life. The greatest kolaches? Kolaches. You ever had a kolach? I've, I've, I, I don't even know what a kolach is. It's a pastry. It's oh. a pastry and they're delicious, Joe. Look it up. Give it the program. Are you not from the Midwest originally? Come on. Adam's defense. I know what a, it's like a kolache. Yeah, kolache. Oh. Yeah. A, a kolache is like a kolache. single one. A kolache is a single. A kolache is when you get like a herd of them together. A bunch of them. Yeah, a box of kolaches. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> yeah. This is the show where we not just talk about kolaches and kolaches. We also cover financial uh, headlines. And not only do we read them over like some podcasts, we dive into how they affect your wallet and what you can do to invest, save, and pay down debt more effectively. That's not enough. Adam and I are going to have a big idea at the end of today's show you can take with you to be better with money, all in usually less than 20 minutes. Adam Carroll, Vitamin AC is back. How are you, man? I'm great, Joe. I'm great. I am figuring out how to create a variety and novelty in my life, despite everything being exactly the same. It's, it's so good. Uh, this morning, I scrubbed my right armpit before my left, which is unusual. So we're just getting very creative. That builds it exciting a bit. You probably tell your wife, you're like, you want to watch this because nobody knows which, which arm I'm starting with. Nobody right. knows. Today, I'm going to brush my teeth with my left hand. Yeah. It'll be exciting. Watch this. It's going to be awesome. I, I have to tell you, as much as I love your podcast, I was a little upset listening to the latest episode. Because you told your guests that it was your favorite interview ever because it had been your first interview. And the bad, you told me that when I was on your show. I'm like, Adam Carroll's cheating on me. What the hell's going on here? The bar keeps getting raised. You know, like you, you raised the bar. You were my favorite. Then Scott raised the bar. Yeah. yeah. I do need to have you back on the show. We got to talk about all your life journey, your mission here over the last several months. Scott was, I will wreck your show. I've told you that a hundred times. I know, I'm, love I'm do down for it. But that was a very interesting discussion about creativity and connection and, and um, yeah, in this time of COVID. Scott is a wildly creative guy. We're talking about Scott Ginsburg, um, who holds the Guinness Book of World Records for wearing a name tag in the most consecutive days. So he has a name tag that says, hello, my name is Scott, but he's worn 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I thought you were going to tell wow. me he's, he's worked at Best Buy oh, no. for longer than any other employee. Oh no, he, he has worn a name tag for 21 years consistently and has one tattooed on his chest. So that is Scott's claim to fame, but his real claim to fame is he's so creative. When he came to my house years ago, he was on a speaking gig and, and I invited him to my place he picked up my guitar and wrote a song in the moment about why my dad's a terrible daddy and sang it to my kids. And it was all about, <laughs> oh, I was a terrible daddy. It was quite fun. And that's all you need to know. 
That's yeah. all. That's all anybody that's needs cool. to know about the Build, Build a Bigger Life podcast. That's, that's what you do on my show. We have fun. <laughs> that's the quality of guests. Well, today we're talking about the Fed. I'm glad, Adam, you're going to help us uh, walk through what the heck do these Fed meetings mean. Let's see which one of our friends is going to help us kick off today's discussion. This is Tim from the Faith and Finances podcast. Friends, check. Money, check. Friends with money, let's do this. All right. Uh, today's piece uh, came to us from CNBC. It's written by Patty Dom. Patty wrote, the Fed could disappoint markets Wednesday, even if it keeps a super dovish tone. We are, by the way, recording this before we uh, get the news about what the Fed expected. But you know what? It's going to be cool because as you're listening to this, you're going to then turn to your favorite online publication and you're going to see what happened. And we're going to give you a few insights into why the Fed is important. Actually, I'm not. The reason I invited Adam on is because he's going to, Adam, why is this important? Because I can't figure it out. It's so important. There are clues. You know, Joe, that these clues that get dropped like dovish and hawkish and things that the Fed is talking about, which we don't, like you mentioned earlier, we don't really pay attention. There's a lot of people who read that and probably go, whatever, don't know what it means. Um, I will guarantee you this, having spent three years as a uh, mortgage wholesaler calling on brokers and then another three years as a broker, um, the mortgage folks are watching intently on what happens on these FOMC meetings because that is going to dictate when they lock in their mortgage rates. Uh, many times, whatever the Fed meetings, uh, what is said at the Fed meetings will directly impact what happens to mortgage rates that day or in the, the subsequent couple of days. So if you were in the middle of a refinance and the Federal Reserve comes out and says they are dovish, what that generally will mean is rates might trend lower because if they are dovish, Joe, they're probably concerned about high unemployment weak growth overall and deflation, not inflation. So let me pause there to see if that. No, I get It's funny because I actually had to look that up. I've heard that term forever, the fed being dovish and, uh, and I loved an online explanation that I saw, which is dovish and hot. Dovish means we're going to be nice. Like if you think, hey, we're going to be nice, we're going to do it. That means at the very least, we're not raising rates, right? If we're yep. hawkish, it means we're fighting and we're fighting something. And the way the Fed, the only thing the Fed can do to fight is to raise rates. That's all they can do. Right. So um, a hawkish Fed will will raise rates. A dovish Fed will leave them. And, and there really isn't much room for them to go lower, Adam, in this case. So that means that the right. promise that they made uh, the last few meetings, which is that we're not going to change things for three years. They're going to continue on that promise. Yeah. Um, even though, do you really think the Fed's not going to make a move for three years? I have a hard time believing that's the case, but I think over the next 12 to 18 months, we'll see what happens when, you know, the, the roosters come home. Um, and that being like, how many, how many foreclosures will there be? Um, I think that's a big, big issue right now. Part of the reason that the Fed keeps rates low is it prompts investment. It prompts the housing market to continue to boom and, and move forward. And when I was in the mortgage business, I heard a statistic that said every time a home is sold, it pumps $40,000 into the local economy. Wow. So if you imagine that interest rates go from, I mean, right now, literally, you could go get a, a 30-year fixed mortgage for 2.75, 2.5 if you paid down some points. That is ridiculously cheap mortgage rates, ridiculously cheap. And so if that goes up to three and a half, what it does is it changes your buying power by 
uh, I believe it's 10%. So at two and a half, if you can afford a $300,000 home at three and a half, you can only afford a $270,000 home. Yeah. And that's the big deal is as these, as we watch the the housing market heat up and, and home prices and values go up and up and up, we actually should be um, fond of having a dovish person in the fed because it will likely mean that rates will stay low and we'll still have people continually, you know, buying and, and, but renovating this, and upgrading. But, but but this is, you know, as you're talking, I'm thinking, Adam, to some degree, this is bad news because, um, you know, if I, if I can get really cheap money and instead of being able to pay my mortgage earlier, which is what we should all probably do, right? Pay off our debts more quickly. Instead, we go, well, we don't even really say it. Our real estate friend tells us this means you can afford $25,000 more house. Let me show you, you know, they're already good at put at, if you tell them that you can afford between X and Y, they're going to show you Y plus whatever and go, well, it's just a little, just a little bit more. Now, now they're yeah. more encouraged. They're encouraging you to fall in love with a property that you probably really can't afford. Yeah, it does. I think low interest rates while on the surface are like, Oh, this is awesome. Um, the, the counter effect of it is that people go out and spend way more than they probably should. Um, and that's not just on their home, Joe, that's on credit cards and HELOCs and everything else. Right. So um, I think that. The, the what what is overlooked quite often, and this is something that that was in the headlines, and I'm sure another one that people read and went whatever, was the whole idea that Janet Yellen has been tapped as uh, yes, Treasury, Treasury Secretary. Secretary. Yeah. yeah, and she is very dovish. So the the thought is that the when the Treasury Secretary and the Federal Reserve Chairman are both dovish, that they will have this unique relationship and working together that will keep sort of the wheels greased on our economy, so to speak. And when I say wheels greased, what I mean is that we will continue to perpetuate and create more debt. Right. The debt is what increases our gross domestic product. Yeah, because really that is what low interest rates do. They encourage people to take on more debt and uh, and to keep spending, right? I mean, if we, were, if we were a saver economy, people would be clamoring for higher interest rates because everybody wants those CD rates higher okay. instead, of, instead of what we have now. Everybody gets excited when, hey, I can just go borrow more cash. You yeah. know, it's funny before we get too far away from this, I just, I, I do want to clarify one thing that we've been talking about is that even though mortgage rates go up maybe the same day as uh, if the Fed makes a move up or goes down the same day, it, that actually is a two-step process. The Fed actually only controls very short-term interest rates of banks borrowing money back and forth. So the ones that are directly, and I mean directly affected, are car loans and unsecured credit lines. Those are the two that are directly going to be affected. But then what happens is, to Adam's point, is that the, uh, and to get really nerdy, uh, then, you know, uh, T-bills get sold at auction and T-bill rates change because of what the Fed did. And so then that brings mortgage rates along with them. And often you'll see banks already know that's going to happen. So they'll lock it in. So I only said that, Adam, because I was going to get a five paragraph essay from an Uber nerd telling me about how we missed a step. That's true. And I just wanted that's to right. let the Uber nerds know that I'm there with you guys. I, 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 we know. Some people saw the headline when you put it up on the live chat and they're like, this is so sexy. I love this topic. Yeah, that's right. Can't wait to talk about this. <laughs> that, that, I think the, the, the implication or the implied message too, when we talk about why will the market interrupt? I mean, you're, the headline I believe was the market will not take the news kindly. 
today. Wasn't that how it yeah. started? Yeah. Do you get that? Well, I think the, the, again, the implied message in it is that if they're talking about being dovish, which means we're going to push rates low, that there is some internal concern about high unemployment and about weak growth. So while, you know, we're, we're again, topping the charts in the market and, and home values are up and savings numbers are up and all of that, I think there is some consideration being made for 2021 and there being weak growth in 2021. And so that's what I think might be the markets are reacting to is the implied message of, oh, we're dovish, which means that we're also going to assume there's some rising unemployment numbers and, and weak growth ahead. Which is, which uh, as you're speaking, I'm thinking about one of Michael Lewis's first books and him talking about how when he was at Solomon Brothers, they taught him to not look at the first domino but to look at the second domino and this whole thing that you're talking about is completely second domino thinking like yeah. everybody's racing to the conclusion, right. Of, right. of we have a problem with employment and is this going to help? That's exactly right. Yep. Uh, you know, this is probably like the third or the fourth domino Joe, but I read an article a couple of days ago that mass mutual, the large insurance company had done a significant investment in Bitcoin and significant being hundreds of millions of dollars. And so, um, you know, I question that a little bit too, because you take, you take a case like Bitcoin and a company like mass investing in Bitcoin, that has very little to do at the surface level with what the fed does. Cause now we're talking about a completely different. Yeah. A whole uh, different mechanism. Whole different mechanism. Yeah. And what's interesting is an insurer, them doing that, it's going to give them some, some leverage the other way. It's almost like buying options, you know, or, or, or having some insur an insurer thinking about insurance against right. future Fed moves. But that's, that's, that's really wild. Yeah. I found that whole, I mean, this is now we're going to go down a rabbit. We won't go down this rabbit hole, but just the whole time the companies were telling you. My apologies. You, you thought I needed some theme music to go along with my own Bluetooth on my phone. Here goes Joe. Let's uh, play some theme music while he talks. We, uh, uh, I think that, um, you know, the whole time that people, uh, consumers were talking about cellular or excuse me, solar and about how solar doesn't make sense. And, yeah. and you saw big companies talking about solar not making sense. Those same big companies were out there installing as much solar as they possibly could on their own, right? right. So instead of listening to what the PR department's saying, look at what they're actually doing. Same no thing doubt. we saw on Wall Street. While Wall Street people were out loud laughing about Bitcoin, you yeah. look at, you look at what, what, what JP Morgan Chase, Goldman Sachs, and the rest of them have done around cryptocurrency. And, and their actions say something totally different right. than, than, than what they tell the average person. Uh, and if not Bitcoin, it could be something else, right? It could be gold. It could be silver. I mean, I, a great case in point, there's a, a bank uh, that I do some work with on the financial education front. And the CEO of the bank, uh, I was talking to him one day about silver and how they invest, you know, how the, what do they use for a hedge? And he said, well, you don't realize how fragile the, the market is until a small little, you know, multi-hundred million dollar asset bank in small town Iowa can shift the silver market. And I said, what do you mean by that? He said, I called up my silver dealer and said, we'd like to take $12 million worth of silver on delivery. And I said, well, first of all, why would you do it? He said, it's just a hedge. We, we think we can buy it low and we'll sell it back. And it's, it's a guarantee, right? It's like just 
it, it's like being on the gold standard. We're just buying silver instead. Yeah. And the broker said, we will send it to you, but we have to send it over the next six to eight months. We'll lock in the price, but we need to send it over time. And he said, why is that? You'll move and the market too much. They said it, we would run out of silver. It would change the price structure accordingly. And we can't, we just can't supply it. What? So just interesting again, because you wouldn't go into that bank and they'd be like, oh, got a great investment for you. Here's a hundred bars of silver. They wouldn't do that. This is why uh, I like talking to Adam Carroll, by the way. We started off talking about the Fed. Now we're talking about silver. We've covered solar. What else solar. is on people's bingo card? We got to make sure somebody wins this thing. In just, in just a moment, Adam and I are going to have our takeaways from today's show. All right. What's our takeaway here? Getting back to the Fed, Adam. Yeah. I think the takeaway, certainly for me, is that this may not interest you whatsoever. Right? I mean, I think that the... The talk of the Fed, and if you're on CNBC, you're listening to Squawk Box, they're probably talking about Fed policy on a regular basis, and it may just go right over your head. I think if if you can take a couple minutes and dig into and learn a little bit about it, it will help you understand kind of the macro of what's going on in our society. And the um, the whole idea behind interest rates for me has been very interesting because one of the single greatest expenses we have in life is the interest expense on debt. That is one of people's greatest expenses in life. So if we can figure out how to manage and understand interest and how interest works both for us and against us, we have a better chance of mitigating how much expense we pay in our lifetime on the interest expense on debt. So for me, that's why I'm interested in it and why I think other people should be. I think that's a great takeaway itself is to just after after you listen to this episode go and figure out how much annually you're just paying on the interest on your debt and and just getting past your home will give you a big pit in your stomach like people think okay i pay a thousand dollars a month toward my debt or five hundred dollars a month or two that whatever your number is you think that yep. and then when you figure out how much of that money is just debt service right is is right. is not helping you get ahead it's just going in somebody else's pocket yep. make, makes you realize then that you want to be somebody who loans out money not somebody who owes money we this is a really interesting uh mindset switch too for me joe I went to, I went from a point of, you know, having a mortgage, carrying car loans, credit card debt when I was in my twenties to being completely debt free and more of the interest, um, more of the interest that I was paying, I was paying on debt that was being used to generate income. So it was more on like investments that I was making as opposed to things that I had bought. Yeah. And I think that's the flip flop that most people need to get to is when you look at how much interest expense do I have every year on things that I've bought versus things that I've invested in that are making me money. That, that are paying and, you the interest. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And when you cross over that, like even to borrow some money out of equity in your home to put into an investment, knowing that you're going to make money on it. Um, I just, I think that's the leap that people need to get to in order to create real wealth. I had a, I had a client that was really having trouble back when I was a financial planner, getting investing, just getting basic investing. And we took, so, so what, 
I, th- they did. They took, we built their emergency fund first. We got their budget in order and I did not want to help them invest until they understood a little bit about what they were doing. We took $2,000 and just to prove the point, we put it in a high yield bond fund. Now you're going to have, you're going to have CFPs all over the place going, you did what? what? Why the hell would you do that? These junk bond funds. But what it showed, and this was really cool for my client, they saw every month, then we pointed every month, this, this number that was going back back into their account. We were reinvesting and they got for the first time in their life in their mid fifties, they got really excited about investing because the light bulb came on that this money's getting added to my account every single, and even when the price went down, then I remember my client explaining to me because those prices and high yield bonds can be very volatile. He goes, the price went down, but guess what? I still got another dividend. I still, I still got that money coming in. I love this. This is great. Yes, it is, man. Yes, it is. Speaking is- of this is great. I heard that you, you have a you have a great <laughs> podcast. I, I, I'm a ninja. I have a don't, don't you even- are. That was an amazing segue. <laughs> uh, I do. I have an amazing podcast, the Build a Bigger Life Show. Uh, I am all about helping people build a bigger life, not a bigger lifestyle. And so I interview people who are interesting, doing things that they love to do, not what they have to do. Many of them are are um, minimalists though that is not something I especially espouse to, as you can tell from the bookshelf behind me. Um, but, uh, but I love talking to people who have decided that they're going to live out their core values and they're going to do it in sometimes strange ways. Um, so they're all really interesting, interesting people. I was listening to the latest episode this morning. You, you always have such a good time and, and you're right. It's all, it's, it's inspiring people. And often people are, I find people are inspiring, especially when I listen to your show that, um, I don't think you're really worried about the fact that they're minimalist It's that they're spending good money on things that they appreciate and they've cut everything else. Right. Yeah. Yes. Cause you only have so much cash and True. yeah. And I think that's fantastic. It's a bit build a bigger life podcast. Good news for you guys. Adam's back with us tomorrow, assuming we can keep him here. Uh, I'll be here tomorrow too, assuming these paint fumes don't kill me. I'm Joe. He's Adam. We'll see you next time back here at Money with Friends. See y'all. This show's created and hosted by us, Joe Salcihai and Bobby Rebel, and it's edited and produced by Ashley Wall. Money with Friends is a product of Money with Friends, LLC, copyright 2020. For a list of the thought leaders who appear on the podcast and links to the stories discussed, head to our website, moneywithfriendspodcast.com. You can also check out our schedule for upcoming recording sessions so you can join us and be part of the show. Also, be sure to follow us on social media at Money Friends Pod on both Instagram and Twitter. Look out for our polls and quizzes. You could get a shout out on the show. We're well worth following. We promise. As with anything, remember, you shouldn't take advice from any of us or any other videos or podcasts without first talking to your financial advisor. These people on this episode, they're here for your and their entertainment purposes only. I'm Bobby. I'm Joe. We'll see you here back next time with another episode of Money with Friends. Bam. Nailed it. Done.